Pod, I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of spoiler special podcasts. This one is dedicated to Christopher McQuarrie's Mission Impossible Fallout, a.k.a. the sixth movie in the Mission Impossible movie franchise. Now, of course, this one is more of an amuse-bouche, a little bite-sized palate cleanser, if you will, in between the monster podcasts that are my sit-downs with Chris McQuarrie on either side of the Atlantic. You may have already heard the near three-hour epic that was part one. I'll get ready next week for part two, which will be about two hours as well. And so, talking about the movie, is Team Empire, over the next 38 minutes or so, just a, a light dash if you will, of a podcast. And we're going to be answering your questions and talking about our own feelings about the movie uh, as well. And joining me to do so over the next few minutes, Helen O'Hara, who wrote the five-star review. Hello. Nick Dissemblian. Hello. Who has seen all the Mission Impossible movies. (laughs) Thank you. My fifth reload as well. (laughs) They don't. And our very own nefarious double agent, a.k.a. August Walker. No, I don't know what your name is. James Dyer. James Dyer. August Dyer. How are you? I'm good. My good, good, plans good. for world domination are, are coming together nicely. Are you more Solomon Lane than August Walker, I would say? I don't know. We'd have to see him with a moustache. I like to think of myself as an August Walker, but perhaps I'm <laughs> kidding myself and I'm, I'm more of a Sean Harris. <laughs> I think if any of us try to do the thing a Cavill does with that reloading arms yeah. thing, oh, yeah. we would look so stupid. I can't even no. begin to tell you. I, my arms Nick would fall off. Nick just said he can do it. I can do it. I can yeah, do go it. on, Nick. Do it now. Reload your arms. I know this is a podcast, but we'll, we'll judge. <laughs> yeah, that was that was very impressive. Wow. Mm. On the plus side, my upper lip is CGI. Uh, all right. So is we're that genuinely go- impressive. No. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to break it to you, but no. Um, right. Anyway, so we don't have a lot of time, but we do have a lot of your questions, and we do have, uh, I think, a shared love of this movie, which mm-hmm. is, which is good. Should we just go straight into the questions? Sure. All right. So the questions are going to be a little bit all over the shop, but there you go. So this first one is from Henry Davis. And he asks, do you think the trailer showed too much? I felt like it hampered my enjoyment, especially with Luther at the beginning. Now, given that the trailer gives away pretty much all the major twists and turns and things like the helicopter chase. Oh, by the way, we should point out, spoiler special, spoiler special. If you haven't seen the film, stop listening because we're, we're getting straight into it, ending stuff right from the off. Uh, so if you haven't seen Mission Impossible Fallout, stop the podcast, go and see the film and then come back again. All right, good, happy? Yeah. Right. So, what do we think? Because uh, it gives way that those trailers give way an awful lot. I, I disagree. I actually came out of this film, and one of the first things I said was, "I was so happy the marketing uh, was done so well, and it didn't give away all the money shots in the movie and all the twists and turns." And I thought a couple of films did this summer. Infinity War did a really good job of hiding a lot of stuff as well. Uh, I thought Jurassic World was the worst offender in terms of giving stuff away, but I, I didn't. I didn't feel that. Okay. Um, not just the trailer, but the trailer within the film gives you glimpses of a lot of the action sequences to come as well. What, the oh, the, the uh, credit sequence. Yeah. That, that, I love that tradition, though. They mm. don't do it on Mission Impossible 2. They so don't? I've been, I've been re-watching them. Uh, Mission Impossible 2 is the only one not to do that. Is it? I didn't realise that. Yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, I agree you could maybe have left the helicopter sequence out of the trailers without losing a vast amount, I think, but that might have involved putting in too much of the other ones, so maybe they maybe they struck the right balance there. It is an interesting one because the, the trailers, especially as they went along, gave away the fact that uh, Walker is a, is a bad guy, or at least the antagonist of the movie. It doesn't fully go, this guy, this dude is full-on evil and uh, wants to you know bring about, well... 
not the end of the world, but, but very, very close. But it certainly does set him up as, an, as a, an antagonist to Ethan Hunt. Now, do you think... I've seen some people lament that and they would have liked that to have been revealed as the movie went along. He's introduced as an antagonist. Like The very first scene is in, it's pretty clear that they're going to be butting heads. But then they could butt heads without being enemies like they could they, it could be a sort of like because i think in, in the beginning in the first half of the movie there is a suggestion it's almost going to be like a buddy cop thing like you you start off butting heads but by god i respect you i you assumed know? i assumed that he would be sent after ethan at some point by the cia or whatever and and that was going to be the dynamic i i so i, I knew he was going to be chasing him but i didn't know that he was going to be a proper baddie mm. proper yeah like i think baddie. i think they could maybe have I think that's right. I assumed the same, or at least didn't assume the same, but thought that that was a possibility. But um, I think that they 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 could have hidden a little bit better that he was going to turn quite as far as he did. I think you know it could have been the I've been sent after you to bring you in Mm. more than the suspicion. I think many people had that he was the bad guy that he Mm. would be fighting in the final Mm. scene. See, it's interesting because I I kind of thought a bit like um, like you guys that. There would be a bit of redemption. That there'd be a, a buddy movie archetype going on here. That you know they would they would finally find in the in the final reel that Solomon Lane was the the the, the threat that they had to unite to fight, and that they might put aside their differences. And especially, I'll be honest, when Cavill was first cast, I thought that he was in a way the setting up of the passing of the torch of this franchise. The same way the, people thought for Jeremy Jeremy Renner. Renner. Yeah. And I kind of st- I still feel that Renner was introduced with that in mind. Uh, in in Ghost Protocol, less so obviously in Rogue Nation, yeah. but there's certainly a thing that's going on that maybe Tom Cruise particularly is just going, oh, this is my franchise now, and I'm leaning into it and I'm loving it, and you're going to have to pry it out of my cold dead hands when I'm 75. But then on the other hand, I think in this film, maybe more than any of the others, he acknowledges a certain amount of wear and tear, um, a fragility, and, and, yeah, yeah, and I think some of that is coming obviously from the fact that you know he literally broke his leg during the shoot, and maybe that changed how they approached some stuff but it seems to be the whole way through the film it seems to be there that you know he is there, there's a sense of effort on his part and he's still doing impossible things but they hurt and i i kind of i got the impression that he's not oblivious to the passing of time that he's he's willing to acknowledge it as a character be if nothing else there's a shot in the trailer which is not in the film isn't there the um the truck collision or what looks like a collision that's correct yes that's correct, uh, and that is as um, that's yeah that's mentioned in the uh, in the first part of the Macquarie thing, and that is a shot from the helicopter chase towards the end that was that was cut out uh, when Ethan dips down beneath the clouds and comes into contact with the truck, and then quickly goes up and then emerges from the clouds. So, so yeah, uh, but I don't think that had that had cavil in it. That was just a random guy yeah. in a truck, as far as I, as far as I can tell. But the cavil thing, I, I I really do think is interesting. I think that's that's a really great character. I think August Walker, he he plays it brilliantly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, there, there's no vestige of Superman in this performance. Well, I think what's really interesting is I think we've kind of found his niche a little bit with this. Not which is not to say he shouldn't and couldn't do other things, but I think all of that ridiculous handsomeness actually works a lot better in this than it does in almost anything else he's ever been cast in. Um, even as Superman, like one of my, we've talked about this in, in spoiler specials for, for the, his two Superman films, um, but there's an element of, sometimes he can look a little bit smugger than Superman should, uh, whereas here that works so well. And all of that kind of patrician, perfect, you know, ubermensch kind of good looks mm. 
plays nicely here as a bad guy because you know if you were put up against this guy you'd be hard pressed not to hate him if you were you know in a position where you had to measure yourself mm. against him you're up against, you're really up against it and i think that's just really really good casting i have an august august walker august walker august <laughs> walker yeah i have a question about him but are we is there a question about him later on i'd ask it so the skydiving sequence mm. when he passes out mm. and you know, looks like he's being a bit of an idiot. Is that part of is that part of his plan? No, he's, he's out cold. Yeah. yeah, he gets struck by lightning. Yeah. But does he do it? Does he knock himself out on purpose no. for some reason? No. Because he gets okay. struck by lightning. I mean, that's pretty hard to do on purpose unless you're Thor. Because we're sort of led to believe later in the movie that he's this sort of brilliant undercover legendary figure. Mm-hmm. But that's quite a stupid thing to do. But he's but also think, a bit of an idiot. Yeah, he's also as, as well, evidenced. He's reckless. You know, yeah. I don't know how much of that was was a kind of uh, facade that he was putting on. I think he's also the hammer. Like he's he's not necessarily the mastermind planner. I think a lot, you know he he's certainly very smart. But I think that's more Solomon Lane mm-hmm. still. Mm-hmm. I think he is he is the fixer. He's the guy who goes in and gets shit done. And I think his jumping out of the plane like no fuck off, we're just going to do this. He's yes. very much part of that side of his character yeah. rather than the planning. I okay. don't need your warnings. Yeah, exactly. you know, you know, he's very much. I don't believe in experts. Who needs experts? And he just leaps and immediately. <laughs> the fact that he immediately gets hit by lightning <laughs> made me laugh a lot. Oh fuck off, Ethan! And <laughs> <laughs> I think a few people have sent in this uh, this observation as well that this is more than anything else, even more than The Man From U.N.C.L.E., his audition for Bond. And the thing I like about Henry Cavill is that he is not backwards and coming forwards about his wanting to be James Bond, which you don't often see. I, I don't even think that Michael Fassbender has publicly come out and gone, yeah, X-Men First Class, that was me wanting to be James Bond. We know that the role's going to be fake-hated. Honestly, if they're not looking at him as, a, as an option once Daniel Craig hangs up the Walter PPK, then they're, you know, they need their heads examined. I think... I disagree. Helen anyway. completely agrees. <laughs> I, think, I, think, no, I, I think he can do better. I don't think he should be Bond. Any any reason? I Are you just going to leave it at that? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, good. I'm one over to, to your argument. <laughs> no one uh, should get to be Superman and Bond. That's that's greedy. Superman and Bond and August Walker and Napoleon <laughs> Solo and that bloke from um, Immortals. Right. Here's a question from Daniel Gaze at Piccolo135 and he asks, uh, if, if, as Benji jokes to death, jokes to death, while while Ilsa deals with Lane, it was clearly a reference to the idea of looking out for one person over the greater good. But did she stop a kill to help Benji? Or was it the greater good? The greater yeah, good. Yeah, no. <laughs> or was the intention to put him to sleep and then help, thereby cutting her close and showing that she won't make the same choices a Hunt does? She's torn, isn't she? You can see she's torn between the two things. She wants to kill him and she wants to save Benji. Mm. And then she splits the difference and chokes him into unconsciousness and then just saves Benji. Yeah, I think she's trying to do both as efficiently as possible. Women are good multitaskers. I think she demonstrates that well. Yeah, well... What do we think of um, Ilsa in this movie? Uh, her, uh, do you think she was introduced at the right time? Could have been introduced earlier? Could have been introduced later? And that relationship with, uh, with Ethan as it developed? I had a little bit of a problem with her... Uh, characterization in this movie in that a lot of the beats felt very similar to Rogue Nation. The sort of, you know, you'll be disavowed, you can never go home mm. thing was exactly the threat that they had over her in, mm-hmm. in Rogue Nation. And, and I was like, what? So MI6 only has one thing? Like, there's nothing else that they will threaten anybody with? Mm. Um, so that, that slightly annoyed me. And the, the bigger problem I had, I think, was that she and Ethan didn't trust one another earlier. Because actually, when she actually talked to him, it didn't seem like there was that much reason not to have told him that mm-hmm. several scenes before. And I wasn't quite sure why she didn't. Right. 
So I would have liked to have seen them team up earlier, not necessarily for her to appear any earlier, uh-huh. but just a bit more honesty earlier on. Maybe it's because August was there when they first I met think that's or it. was hovering. Yeah. But yeah, I think that's it. Uh, I'm not sure if I've asked Macquarie this or not because the second part hasn't happened yet, but uh, when she shoots the man who's pretending to be Lark in the toilet scene and she sees Ethan and she goes, shit. Now, that shit could be read a couple of ways. One is that she just shot the dude without knowing it was Ethan or two, that she knows by, by shooting a man pretending to be Lark that she has in some way fucked things up. Mm. Now, what's your, what's your take I think I think you're supposed to think it's the former but it is in fact the latter because I think she shoots him specifically because it's Ethan. Mm. But yeah, it's a, it's a nice bit of misdirection because it can be read either way. Mm. I thought I thought this movie really nicely progresses our relationship to the point where we can expect some uh, impossible positions coming up <laughs> in the in the not too distant future. But nudge, th- nudge, wink, wink. That's uh, say no more. One. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Because in Rogue Nation, uh, Ethan's wife is not mentioned or seen at any point. And you're left at that point wondering, is he still married? What's going on? I don't really know what's happening. And the answer was, no, he wasn't. And the they answer was, no, it's all all in the past. He was I, married to fake out Wes Bentley. Because it sounds <laughs> funny, but all the way through Rogue Nation watching it, and like they're flirting with each other, and, and I felt a little bit like, aren't you married? I'm pretty sure I saw you get married. And and I like the fact that they dealt with it in this. Yeah. I thought that yeah. was I thought it was a really nice yeah. touch to bring her in and, and do that sequence yeah. at the end. Because there's ambiguity, isn't there? Because she she shows up at the end of Ghost Protocol, or where Ethan is is looking on her, uh, looking at her from afar, mm. and clearly. And then yeah, I was also a little bit annoyed with that in uh, Rogue Nation, and well, what's happening there? What's yeah. what's what's going on with that? But and I'm glad I, that it was resolved. I also liked in Rogue Nation that you thought, you know what, this this even though it's a bit flirty fun, th- there wasn't necessarily a love story there. Yeah. They were working together. They were both professionals. I mean, he was clearly, you know shall we say, a little bit taken with that because he makes a number of incredibly stupid decisions which seem motivated by thinking with his penis. But um, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it, the thinking, not the penis. Um, but uh, yeah, but in this, you know, I thought, uh, I, I thought, I thought it, was, it was more balanced. Although I will say, and I loved this film, the only bit that I perhaps slightly, not cringed at, but registered, was when... Luther explains Ethan's marital situation mm-hmm. to Ilsa. I felt that dialogue a bit on the nose. That little speech he gives, I was like, mm, I might have done that a bit differently. But uh, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you, you tell Chris McQuarrie how to write. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Yes, he'll yes. come in and tell us how to follow. The man who wrote the Usual Suspects. I'm going to give him <laughs> advice on how to do a screenplay. No, it's just I, it wasn't. No, I'm going to blame it all on uh, Ving Rhames. Um, no, the, the delivery was all the delivery. No, I don't know. It just that it felt a little bit pointed. That I wondered whether it, maybe it was for time, but it felt quite of a blunt way of no, conveying that information. I, I, I liked it. Yeah, I liked the I liked the, the evolution in this movie because Luther is a character I don't know necessarily. Sometimes the films have known what to do with that they feel sometimes they have to have him around him. Yeah. He shows up at the end of Ghost Protocol just to keep the run going. That's yeah. that's that's, that's yeah, the yeah. feeling there. And this one. You feel that Fing Rames has has aged and matured. I think he's either late fifties or early sixties mm. now, and he's become the wise old soul of the franchise mm. in a strange way. And I don't think it's a, it's a coincidence that he has the most soulful emotional moments, both with Ilsa and then with Julia. He has yeah. those moments, and uh, I think he can sell it sell it in a way that I don't think Benji would necessarily have the, the experience to do so. But unlike Mission Impossible 2, there isn't a scene where he steps in shit and goes, shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't have everything. Yeah. I, I needed, need to revisit that. I, I need mean, to revisit 2. 2 is astonishing. Yeah. 
I think uh, I believe it's kangaroo poo. As I well. think I'm rewatching them. I was going to watch them all before Fallout, and instead I watched Fallout, and now I've just watched Rogue Nation. So I think I'm now doing them all in reverse order, <laughs> and I'm going to end with the first one. I've watched them all multiple times, except for two, which I've just watched once when it came out, and I didn't like it. Yeah. And I kind of feel a little bit trepidatious about going it's, back. It's in again. not that bad. It's fine. He has it's got exploding hair in it. And actually, we, yeah, we were talking about the most stunning visual image of the whole mm. series. I would make a case for him hanging off the rock and mm. too. Why is he in Australia? <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> um, Why is he on holiday? Yeah, but then the, the whole plot is on Australia no, no, as well. He's, I don't think he's meant to be in Australia at that point, is he? Oh, he's in Utah or somewhere, isn't yeah, he's he? He's, Utah. Like, yeah. he's in like, oh, right, or um, okay. Death Valley or something. Right. Not yeah. Death Valley, the other one. Uh, Monument Life Valley. Valley. Does, is it I think t- they shot it in Australia, but yeah. Maybe. Is it two who has... My favourite Hopkins line, the, it's not mission difficult, Mr Hunt. Yes, I didn't say that problem. Oh, it's not stop. mission difficult, stop. Mr Hunt. Stop, stop. Watch me in Westworld. <laughs> right. I hate you all. I fucking hate you all. You can just leave that in there. Uh, fuck you. A uh, census taker once tried to test me, Mr Hunt. <laughs> Uh, Anthony, Hawk, Anthony Hawkins, yeah. Anthony Hawkins, oh. Mission Impossible. One man can do, another can do. Say me, Baba. Say me. You're not done, King. You're not King. And I killed the motherfucker. Um, but uh, it's got, it, it, two has got exploding ray bands. Why are we talking about Mission Impossible 2? I feel like this is my fault. Oh, let's go back to Lufa. Lufa! James, do you want to, do you want to give us your what? name? No. I've, I, you know what? You've taught me around. He's brilliant. That scene was brilliant. I loved it. Can we talk about how energetic sex is going to be between Ethan Hunt and Ilsa Faust? Extraordinary. And what? <laughs> does, like, and uh, the lengths Ethan will go to to make it interesting in the bedroom. Good lord. Uh, what what's he going to climb? What's he going to climb? Yes. What's he going to leap he's, off? He's going to make, <laughs> he's going to make some kind of Faustian pact. What masks is he going to wear? That kind of thing. Mm. Do they no. have masks for penises? Can he what? can he put a bigger a, 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 gonna, a mask gonna, of a bigger penis on his penis? Slight, slight intervention. Uh, just masks is an interesting thing because they've kind of changed up Thank the God. they've changed up the mask creation My technique yes. in this film because it changes from film to film. Yes, and almost as if it was not consistent. <laughs> <laughs> is it two well, no, or three? They're, they're always streamlining and improving the process. It's two or three where they have to carry around this massive <laughs> device yeah. to build it. But then in this one, it's mobile. It's in a briefcase, yes. which yeah. I quite liked. I loved that whole scene in the... I actually think the, the toilet scene has made my favourite sequence in the film because it's just brilliant the way it builds. With a group of homophobes come in and start banging it's on just, the door. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous that it's a really, really busy club and no one comes in for about 10 minutes. Yeah, uh, that, that did seem unlikely. The VIP yeah. section. Where's, the, VIP where's the man with the aftershaves and the sweets? Maybe. Maybe it's not one of those. Maybe it's not one of those. <laughs> Maybe they asked you to leave first. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I really enjoyed, uh, you know... Um, Walker just smashing the guy in the face, breaking the breaking the machine. Yeah, because um, he's the hammer. Yeah, but also you see, it's, he's also thinking ahead. Is yeah. he? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, presumably, right? I just that thought was he was deliberate. being a. Yeah, I mean, I think a, a bit blunt of both, possibly, but I think it doesn't hurt his plans that the face machine is there, not in fact action. Yeah, but there wasn't that they used the masks extremely well in this film. Yeah. Yes. Um, Benji in particular. Two big switcheroos. Yeah. Um, I'm ashamed to say I fell for both of them. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> I, did, I, I did too. Yeah. Both, um, uh, even the second time I watched a movie. Weirdly. <laughs> it got me as well. Still surprised. <laughs> Still surprised. Weirdly, I was um, suspicious of both. You were? You, yeah. You, you saw them, you sniffed them coming? I kind of did a little mm. bit, yeah. Never trust a man who created Kaiser Soze. That's Helen's That's motto. my motto. Yeah. Go into this movie I knowing. I got that tattooed on my ankle. I did. Yeah. But uh, you, yeah. great wolf blitzer. Um, you know. <laughs> 
That is got to be cameo of the year so far. Yeah, it's a V Walker. Yeah, um, CNN dispensing fake news. It was literally fake news. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't I didn't get it until um, I think it was three minutes after he'd pulled his mask off to reveal <laughs> that it was Benji. I was sitting there thinking, well, this is a bold gambit mm. because mm. I, because I you know I'd spoken to McQuarrie on set and then in the run up for the feature, and we he talked about how this movie's about literally the fallout of uh, Ethan's good intentions and how fallout means something on a couple of levels and suddenly the second scene you have nuclear bombs going off and I thought wow they've really escalated you it thought here. they were going all sum of all fears I thought they were going sum of or all fears 24 season 2 <laughs> very rarely do they actually set a nuke off in things but I actually yeah. I fell for it yeah so did I uh, so did I and so indeed did um, a generic bad guy as, <laughs> as evil <laughs> nuclear professor professor bombalot professor bombalot can I just Bomalot. say at the beginning Bomalot. of this when they give the breakdown of, you know, the syndicate has essentially dissolved, these are the apostles, I was just like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? It's... I didn't follow any of that. Did anyone... But it didn't matter. It wasn't complicated. No, but no. I, just, I guess maybe I just wasn't paying attention, but there was something about apostles, and it's... then this guy in the hospital, I was like, who are you? It's and like, it was, it was all very clearly laid out. And yeah, I, it, it's I, basically Hydra, you know, you cut off one head, a bunch of heads arise. See, I'd be a terrible IMF agent, because they'd be like, your mission should you... T-? And I'd be like, no, I'm on HQ, it's question three, shh, shh, shh. I don't know what you just said. self-destruct, and I have no idea what to do. <laughs> now I'm stuck in Belfast, and I can't get out. <laughs> what's what's was, happening? By the way, that was not a convincing Belfast, I don't think. It was raining. No, yeah. Well, no, yeah, you're right, because the guy didn't come along and go, Hey, how about you there, now, wee man? I've got a mission for you. Here, I didn't see a single packet of potatoes. No, or feed a bread. No, none. Or a sectarian hatred. There was nothing, nothing. going on. But the nothing works, going the, on there. The, 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 works of, the ancient works of Homer are deeply popular. Um, in, in that is past. true. That is yes. true. Yes. So, Here's a copy of uh, Homer's Odyssey. Love Homer. Joe. And that's um, the, the 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 choice of the book is is um, I mean it went over my head, but I'm yeah. presuming there's some thematic. Helen Helen has I haven't asked Macquarie that yet, yeah. so Helen will feel this. She feels that there may be some uh, comparisons. Well, we were we were reaching in our conversation. Jack reaching. Yeah, we were Jack reaching in our conversation. Um, and I guess if you really want there to be parallels, then you've got Julia as sort of Penelope, the wife waiting at home. Um, you maybe have uh, either Ilsa or the White Widow. I can't remember which mm-hmm. which one we came down as mm-hmm. Cersei. I think it was the White Widow as Cersei. Yep. Um, and Henry Cavill gets one side of his face burned. So <laughs> if he just lost an eye, damn it, he would have yeah. been the Cyclops. It would have all fit. I mean, yeah. I don't know. There's a yeah. thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, you can you can you can twist it to fit, but I'm not entirely sure it's meant to be there. But I think it's the, the winner in all this is uh, Homer, who's going to be getting some sweet, sweet royalties now. Mm. Right. I, I just want to tell you something about contract terms, Chris, that may may come as a bit of a shock. And mortality. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chris, you may want to be sitting down for this, but, but Homer is dead. <laughs> no! Don't! <laughs> Jimbo, you were going to say something? I, I, I couldn't even begin to guess at this point. <laughs> all right. So um, if anyone's listened to the Macquarie piece before Liz, this is a slight contrast, I have to say. Um, all right, here's, uh, here's another question. This comes from at Tristan L. Intern. Oh, no, Tristan Lintern. Um, the stunts that are pulled off in the film and the technology and techniques behind them are beyond astonishing and on a whole other level. Mm. Oh, wait a minute, this is Chris Macquarie. Uh, as a film geek who takes in all the film discussion... I love hearing how it was accomplished. For the average film patron, do you think enough is on the screen for them to appreciate the stunt accomplishments? Or do you think the average audience member will just put it down to clever CGI like everything else we've I, seen? I think there's a, there's a sequence when the two helicopters collide, which is clearly CGI. And 
it, it was jarring for me. Because I'm like, oh, yes, I remember computer graphics. Because at that point, I didn't feel like I'd really seen any. And then you go straight from that, and I think I watched the, the trailer for Crimes of Grindelwald and this big, obviously, CG fest, because magic isn't real. And What? <laughs> sorry, Helen. Um, but I loved the fact that so much of this either was or very much seemed practical. Yeah. And just, I after every action sequence, I was just like, how on earth? earth did they do that do you know what really impressed me most and i've i've said this to some of you guys i know already um it's the fact that he goes around the um the place de the around the arc de triomphe on on a motorbike yeah. in a chase scene now let me just explain to you why that's insane there are 12 avenues that meet at around the arc de triomphe there are no lane markings anywhere on the square because it would spoil the effect of us. There's actually a star laid out in the pavement. It would spoil the effect. So they don't have any lane markings. So you've got 12 roads all coming onto this gigantic circular roundabout around the, the monument. Um, and, um, and everyone drives like a maniac because they're all French. So, <laughs> and I'm not kidding. If you drive onto that roundabout as a normal person on a normal day and you have an accident, you are 50% responsible because you drove onto it. Yeah. It's famous as, it's famously, um, for its numerous accidents yeah. every day. If you go up to the top of the Arc de Triomphe and you lean over and you look out, you will 100% see a car crash at some point if you're up there long enough, right? It just happens. And they did an action sequence around that, actually. Mm. You know, obviously at the early hours of the morning when they were able to control it, but that is still mental to me. Absolutely crazy. Their Parisian geography is off, but that doesn't matter. It's great. <laughs> Although I'm told that the, the run through London was, apparently it's, it's our art director Chris Lupton's commute. So uh, <laughs> Some of that is, is pretty solid. That's why yeah, he's always was... at the top of the table. Yeah, that's how he gets to work. He literally runs across the top of it. Wow. That's across the top of Blackfriars. <laughs> yeah, very okay. similar to that that run uh, through London. Very similar to Mission Impossible Three, the scene near the end where Benji yes. is is directing him through yes. China, mm-hmm. um, which is I'm sure deliberate. Mm. Um, but that's, yeah, that's yeah. sort of a callback in a way. In fact, yeah. someone has timed that and said that the, there's a shot in MI3 that is the longest continuous shot of Tom Cruise running in a movie yet, and I feel. Like the shot in this movie, which I think is a composite shot of two different shots, two different shots stitched together where Cruz is running just before he breaks his ankle in mm-hmm. real life. That shot. I think that has been deliberately timed to be one second longer. <laughs> and I don't know that for sure yet. I haven't asked Macquarie that yet. But the, 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 the Beatles said that actually with Hey Jude. Hey Jude was timed to be, I believe, one second longer than the previous record holder for the longest number one. Blues Brothers, <laughs> Blues Brothers 2000. I think the first Blues Brothers film, there were like 143 cars right, totaled yeah. and Blues Brothers 2000 added one extra car. Yeah, just to be fair. <laughs> so. they, they've, they've since been surpassed by one of the Fast and Furious movies, but they... they but you're right, Blues Brothers 2000 broke Blues yeah. Brothers record. Yeah, But it's a very, very good point. I do I do feel, actually, that a lot of people will think this is all CG. And you know, at a certain point, yeah. as filmmakers, they must be going, well, why, why bother? I don't think it, it matters what people think. I think that the, if it's done well, you don't yeah. think about how it was done. You just yeah. kind yeah. of are in there. And I didn't actually... It wasn't one of those films where I was going, oh, I wonder how they did that or that. I just kind of went along with it. Mm. Um just when he like when he the camera's on Cruz's face and he turns and he runs and jumps out of the plane and it follows him down. Mm. That was insane. When he's pelting through traffic on the motorbike, I mean, the same thing's true in, in Rogue Nation. Mm-hmm. And you see his face very clearly front on as he's bombing along on a motorbike without a fucking helmet on. Mm. And it's just like, oh my God. Yeah, like, it's crazy. How is he insured? But it reminds me of a, an anecdote I think Keanu Reeves told when he was making Speed. 
and that he was terrified during the, the the bit where he's where Jack is trying to get onto the bus and he's driving mm-hmm. through the rush hour traffic, and he's like, "Well, what if I smash into these guys?" And the you know, the, the stunt guy, the, the head of the stunt team, was like, "These are the best stunt drivers in the world. You couldn't hit them if you tried." <laughs> so. It's totally fine. So like every little thing that we think is an accident in that sequence where there's a moment where someone swerves into traffic and he swerves around them really, really quickly. It looks amazing, but timed within just the, an inch of its life. Just extraordinary stuff. So uh, Jorge Castillo uh, at J.I. Castillo asks, who should be the next IMF boss? Renner? Cruz himself? <laughs> where was Renner? Uh, just not in it. He was, yeah. For no particular reason. Look, he and Hawkeye were off on a golf course somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was he under house arrest? That's the, that's the question. Yes. It, it should be, it absolutely should be Tom Cruise playing his Tropic Thunder character. <laughs> just, just, he's now an IMF uh, boss. Uh, that would be terrible on so many levels, my God. Um, yeah, I did, it did occur to me sometimes just because he is, you know, he's over 50 and, and showing the pain now. I, want, I did wonder if at some point he'll... He'll take a desk job and be in, in charge of the IMF, but I, I actually don't see it happening anytime soon. He'll still be running in his 80s. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, McKellen, Ian McKellen, because he was meant to play Anthony Hopkins' role in Mission Impossible 2. Good shout. He couldn't do it, mm-hmm. or rather he decided not to do it at the last minute and put him in there, in his cat's costume, possibly. Would you want to see anyone come back? Lawrence Fishburne from MI3, and of course the beloved Kittredge from uh, Mission Impossible. Big fan of Fishburne's work. Mm-hmm. Mm. I liked him in MI3. He'd bleed on the flag to keep those stripes red. <laughs> We're talking about intelligence, but I'm not seeing any. <laughs> Horribly misquoted that. But, um, and, yeah. and his excellent line about eating chocolate. Yes. Uh, he's an unstoppable zing <laughs> yeah, machine. He really is. He's incredible in that. I, yeah, I had to stop the scene and rewind it the other night when I was watching it. Uh, bring them all back. Bring them all, <laughs> all of them. All, all of them. them. All, all of them. them bring back, back uh, Tom uh, Wilkinson. Did he survive that one? No, he was, he was well killed. Bring yeah, it, bring super it back. Proper, proper super shot in the head. Well, it, it really like bring, bring back Emilio Estevez and Chris and Scott Thomas. You never see, you never see the body. <laughs> well, apart from yeah, the fact you, 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 do. You, do. you totally do. Bring back uh, everyone. Bring back the fish from the first one. The fish tank. <laughs> yeah, bring them all back. Do you think that, um, were you sad to see Alec Baldwin go? I, I expected him honestly to stick around for a couple of couple yeah, of films. I was surprised. Given, you know, given the rigmarole, getting them in, mm. into the job in the first place. I think maybe uh, they've they've been hesitant, I think, for the last few films to kill anybody too close to Hunt on the basis that he lost his entire team in the first one and they wanted to maybe give him a break. Um, but I think it was probably time for somebody to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to lose Benji personally. And I'm, I'm glad that the fake-outs were fake-outs vis-a-vis Benji, although there were kind of a few. You can't yes. kill Benji. You can't kill him. You could try. <laughs> They do. Woe betide you, should you try. Uh, here's a question from at Miss US Pops. Is this the last we've seen of Vanessa Kirby or is she now well-placed to take a further role in the franchise? I think they're setting her up for more, actually. I think, first of all, I get that impression from her and second of all, I just get that impression from the way it was left. She is, of course, I, I, we haven't talked about it, but just in case anyone didn't pick up on the fact that she keeps talking about Max and her legacy from Max uh, in her opening speech that would, of course, refer back to Vanessa Redgrave's character in the very first Mission Impossible. So there's a sense of kind of familial lineage there. And from what she was saying about some of the deleted scenes from this film, that you know, the, the character went back and forth a bit, and, of course, there was stuff that they didn't have time for. Mm-hmm. But there was one scene which was almost a sort of setting her up as a kind of a dark mirror to Ethan, that she's in a situation that she maybe didn't choose, where she's inherited this mantle as a, as a power broker and an arms dealer, um, maybe wouldn't have wanted it and maybe would like to escape. And that there's a sort of sense of her 
not having a choice, whereas he always has a choice to accept his mission in theory. Um, I don't know if she's necessarily set up that way to become some kind of good guy or sympathetic person because she's clearly got a psychotic streak in her a mile wide. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I think there's interesting stuff there to explore potentially going forward. I want to see a scene where Ethan emails her. Just as he he did her mother in the <laughs> first movie. Usenet. Yes, and <laughs> takes ages for the email to go through, and then he has to wait online for a reply to come. That would be cool. Yeah, I think we're going to see more of her in the next one. Uh, here's a question from at Mr. Ken Shappy, aka John Rain of the Smirsh Pod. Uh, is the bit where Hunt in his big chopper looks over at Walker in the opposite chopper and calls him a prick? The most satisfying moment in 2018's films. It's up there. It really is up there. Someone was suggesting that you, uh, that someone should dub in Danny Dyer's twat from New Zealand. <laughs> <laughs> twat. Um, which you need to be able to count for it. That's good. That's twat. A good, that's a good. That's a good use of uh, profanity. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I love a good use of profanity. Cruise improv. Really? Yep. Yeah. I didn't know that Cruz knew such bad words. Wow. Uh, apart from, just ignore the whole of Magnolia. <laughs> <laughs> Tame that and respect it. <laughs> <laughs> what you can't see at home is that Chris just did gestures. Yeah. <laughs> did, did I? <laughs> yes, you did. And they all burned into my eyes. And <laughs> Yeah, you did. <laughs> Yeah. Were you aware of it that time? Yeah, a little okay. bit more, a little bit more. Uh, but do we think that Tom Cruise knows bad words uh, or do we <laughs> think that they have to be um, added in ADR afterwards as someone else, which is why they all sound bad? It's like, respect them, Kirk! And, you know, tame the other one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I have no strong thoughts. I'll get back that. to you on it. Uh, but yeah, it's a great moment, isn't it? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Well done, everybody. Uh, at your turn, Heather asks, am I the only one who noticed that Walker literally becomes two-faced, complete with why won't you just die at the end? <laughs> wow. Uh, Lamara, you may be the only one who has noticed that, but I'm delighted that you did. That's awesome. Solomon Lane is, is a bit jokery, isn't he? There's a whole, um, I, I, I kind of see a whole Heath Ledger Joker kind of vibe mm. to him with, you know, even when he's locked up, he's controlling things that are going yeah. on around mm-hmm. him. Obviously, a lot of stuff. Skyfall did that as well, but they, yeah. they do it better here. A lot of stuff has to go right for Solomon Lane and the Joker's plans to, to yeah. come to fruition. But, uh, and Silver. Yeah, but, but that's, um, that's cool. Because he's presumably in solitary confinement. There's, a, there's an idea in the film about how he's passed around from government to government. Uh, but does he remember all this stuff? Does he write it down anywhere at any point? It seems like a lot to remember. I write it in my moleskin notebooks. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, hey. I really, good notebooks. I really like they those. are good, very you. good notebooks and, and they're used by nice people as well as even thank masterminds you, thank you, presumably but presumably I've seen no evidence um, but <laughs> hey. uh, yeah I, I think um, Sean Harris is, is astonishing in these films I really really like what he does with Solomon Lane and um, he's super creepy and some of the some of the scenes with him are some of my favourite bits the shot with him in the van going underwater where the water's at a weird angle and he's just there in his mm. kind of strange mm, yeah that's a great shot it's an amazing shot um, and his big creepy monologue is great. Uh, yeah, mm. go Sean Harris. I do love a creepy monologue. Yeah, <laughs> I have a question. I have a question. This is not related to to uh, your turn, Heather's question. But um, all right. So when the apostles make a deal with Ethan when they think he's John Lark, yes. to do this heist to break Solomon Lane out. Yes, there is no reason for them. They don't need him because that- they have already figured the plan out. Macquarie, Macquarie addresses that. Macquarie addresses this. I don't see. Because yeah. I was I will, very woolly on, on that whole That was session. the big thing that I came out of not understanding. But I will listen to the yeah. I, I guess the bigger question is, why does Ethan Hunt keep 
breaking things out of places for bad people. It does seem to be a bit of a habit with him. And I worry that, you know, it has been habit forming. Like he got high on his own supply in the original Mission Impossible, you know, oh, I've broken into CIA and got this list out. And now he's just breaking in places to get things that were perfectly safe from everyone but him for, for bad, bad people. Yeah, <laughs> but it's like he doesn't. Yeah, I, 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 with the Langley scene, like only he can do that because it's so incredibly difficult. Whereas with this plan, it seems he just needs to back a truck up. <laughs> it's kind of like he doesn't really. It doesn't require him to to bring much to the table. Their plan as is. But as you say, I will listen to. I will listen to his reply. Yeah, I can't remember what he said, okay. but it, it made sense. But it is interesting that uh, this movie does. Like I said, I think I may have said it in this one or in the, in the regular podcast, leans into some mission tropes like the masks, and in other ways takes a step back from other things. Uh, I would say most people would identify a mission movie with uh, an incredibly complex, detailed, intricate super heist. You know, so we have the silent one in the first movie. Mm-hmm. We have the the Taurus underwater heist in the in in Rogue, Rogue Nation. Nation yeah. We have the Burj Khalifa scene. That's a heist in Ghost Protocol. Um, there's nothing really like that in this, unless you count, of course, the extraction of Solomon Lane as a heist. Uh, yeah, I think that's meant to be the sort of the parallel in mm. this one, I assume. Um, but you're right; it doesn't feel as heisty. Um, although, of course, there are several layers of betrayal and complication going on within it as it turns mm. out mm-hmm. it's just they aren't immediately obvious there isn't that element of planning a super complicated heist maybe it's just it turns out that to be super complicated and speaking of betrayal we talked about it a little bit but the there's the the first great mask moment with wolf blitzer but i think the second mask moment is probably the best moment in the film for me which is where august walker thinks he's alone now with solomon lane doesn't seem to be uh, anyone around precisely I knew you were going to do that uh, and starts and starts monologuing Maybe even given his old moustache a twirl there now and again. Sly devil. Uh, and then, of course, you realise that it's Benji uh, all along. Or someone. We know that's someone underneath the mask. Mm-hmm. Well, we know it's Benji because we saw Benji getting the mask at long last. Uh, what did we make of that moment? I thought it was absolutely terrific. A nice rug pull. Yes, I liked it a lot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I like I got- the moment he realises, you know, when he's saying, you know, the IMF is just Halloween, it's just men with... <laughs> masks and turns around and goes shit wait a goddamn minute it's good I want them to do a scene in a Mission Impossible movie where everyone in the scene is not who they seem to be <laughs> and everyone's pulling masks off that's, that's the Christmas party that's the Iron Man Christmas party <laughs> <laughs> alright just a couple of last ones to finish off with here's a question Helen I'm sorry but this this may exclude you oh, uh, at Nording Thomas uh, asks the lovely Miss Harhara excluded, of course. How long would it take for you guys at Empire to grow a decent moustache? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will exclude uh, myself happily from and that. And still upset about the bad moustache, the bad moustache removal CG in Justice League. It's not just that he has a moustache; he has a moustache and stubble combo, which is a particularly fetching look on him. Mm-hmm. Like moustache solo, like clean-shaven moustache, he would have looked, you know, ropey. But uh, I like the I like the the, the swarthy moustache look. <laughs> I have a moustache um, currently. It is it is sadly more Walter White than August Walker. But um, you, you, you and James can grow good moustaches. They're okay. Yeah, but uh, it would take but, it would take me a long time to grow something even remotely comparable to what Cavill has. And probably would take him like three days. Bastard. Essentially, an afternoon. He reloaded his <laughs> upper lip. Yeah. And, uh, it was pretty quick. And off he pops. 
I think um, it must have been longer. Otherwise, I'm sure they could have accommodated any reshoots from any other films. It must have been a very long-term <laughs> commitment. So a whole bunch of people have asked this, but the question that the, the person whose name I have uh, alighted on is James Stewart at JC Stew. And uh, they asked basically, has the Mission Impossible franchise now eclipsed Bond and Bourne? Has, has it, does it do Ooh. essentially what Bond has been promising to do? For a long time. I came out of this and my first thought was, I have no... I, Danny Boyle must see this film and just be going, fuck. Like, because what do you... I mean, how do you top that with a Bond film at this point? Like, I was like, I don't know where you go. I think Bourne does something very different. Bourne, for me, is... Separate. I prefer the Bourne films, uh, but they feel like a, a different beast to mm. me. I think psychologically, Bourne mm. is a different beast. Um, in terms of car chases and so on, I think this is right up there with the best of Bourne. Um, and I obviously prefer it to Bond, but you knew I was going to say that. So. Yes, I, I was, yeah. But you're right, yeah, Danny Boyle has got to be like, holy <laughs> shit, what do I do now? Chris, what do you think Danny Boyle's thinking? <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, I absolutely love Mission Impossible Fallout. It's one of the greatest Mission Impossible movies I've ever seen. Brilliant stunts from John Cruise. Love it. Great. <laughs> That's amazing. Really Danny Boyle actually came in to, to give us <laughs> that, that brief interview. <laughs> to be honest, in fairness, Danny Boyle is probably fine. Danny Boyle probably has great plans for Bond and will be great at it. Oh, come on, Helen. <laughs> Constant Bond bashing. It's, it's ridiculous. A I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just provi- trying to provide balance in the force and Bond. generally to the whole of the rest of the British media. So, mm. you know, it's mm. my one-woman crusade. Mm. 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 Yeah, I think this is the franchise that Bond's been trying to be for the last... Certainly now. I think probably from three onwards, certainly. But for me, there's been an escalation in the scale and the scope and the ambition of this of this franchise. And clearly they're accelerating. The, the distance between films is diminishing. I'd say they can only do something like this every two or three years. So I wouldn't... Yeah, there is going to be a seven, and I think there will be a seven. And I think, a, I, you know, I would put money on Macquarie being, being back in the writer-director's chair. Yeah for a, a, a trilogy within this franchise. Any other franchise we would, would have had, we'd be on Mission 12 by now. Mm, and uh, I feel we might have had the Law of Diminishing Returns but at some if point. If we were on Mission 12, Tom Cruise would be legally dead. <laughs> so it's No, it's fine. He's, he's got whatever Jackie Chan has and he can just survive. He's made of rubber. Yeah. Only in the last few years has it accelerated and, and roughly at the same pace as Bond with Skyfall and Spectre, both of which have always put, they, they put a premium on mm. doing practical stunts. But I think there's something about the fact that it's Cruise. And it's, it's clearly Cruise. It's interesting that we, tr- we tended to credit that stunt work to Bourne, through the influence of Bourne rather than Mission Impossible. And I think that this will be much a, a bigger influence next time, for sure. Uh, any last notes, anything you want to say about this movie? Anything that stood out for you? Any characters that you feel we haven't shone the spotlight on? Any moments that you feel we haven't shone the spotlight on? Wes Bentley. <laughs> Fake Hello, out Hello Wes, Bentley. Wes Bentley. Yeah, where have you been? <laughs> yeah. mm, that was yeah. fun. We all expected him to be evil, right? Uh, yes, because he's bit. Wes Bentley. <laughs> yeah, and he's also married to the you know, long-lost wife of... Yeah. So, yeah, you kind of did. But, but I, I was glad he wasn't. I thought that was I, nice. Yeah. I loved his bit at the end when he's like, uh, so, doctor, wink, wink, <laughs> nudge, nudge, say no more. Yeah. It's like, okay. It's because he uses nice. the same phrase that uh, that uh, Walker uses on the lift up the tape modern. He says, guardian angel. And he mm. says, I'm her guardian angel. And then Wes Bentley says it as well. And you think, oh, he's got to be evil. But when you think about it, really, that is that would be serious long-term planning on the path <laughs> yeah. part of, yeah, of Lane and Walker. Very good planning. 
Uh, I feel like David Attenborough. <laughs> yeah. um, so you've I'll got to you. marry her. Eva, I've been waiting to get you, Eva Nunt. Oh, look at Wallaby. <laughs> Marry Julia, make her fall in love with you, Ethan. <laughs> then, at a certain point, go to Kashmir. And when a man appears, pretending to be a doctor, say, Guardian Angel. I just feel this is very disrespectful to our Lord, David Attenborough. Oh, I thought you meant Sean Harris. Yeah. No, no, in Kashmir, David the vegetation is very <laughs> um, I would like um, to just give a shout-out to the, the scene to between... Oh, uh, yes, always to David Attenborough, but also to the scene between Julia and Luther, which I thought was really nice. Oh, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Nice. Scene. Yeah, that yeah. was. And also the fact that it was, was it took place while defusing a bomb. So. And I love I love <laughs> the fact that it was so right for her character that she was completely unfazed by the fact that he was asking her to help defuse a nuke. She didn't freak out. She was like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. yeah. Fine. Mm. yeah uh, she rocks. Again, this is something I haven't asked Macquarie yet because part two hasn't happened yet. But uh, I, I, I want to ask him about the ridiculousness of that bomb setup. That it can only be defused <laughs> once both bombs have had the wires cut and you have to have the detonator, but yeah. the detonator is a remote detonator, so it's attached to someone else. And I did love the fact, though, that they had the little conversation. They couldn't get in touch <laughs> with Ethan because he's too far away. They had the little conversation and they basically just decided to trust He's going to get it done, but he's going to get it done at the absolute last minute. So that's yeah. what yeah. we're going to do. How close were we? Yeah. The usual. Are you sure you want to do it in two seconds? That's the second we're never going to get back. Yeah. yeah. It's, all right, we'll do it in one. I just, I just, I thought that was a beautiful little expression of teamwork and trust and his competence. I thought it was a really, really yeah. lovely moment. Really and I love that. that it's it's hanging out of his mouth as he's hanging <laughs> off the cliff and he just spits it out. Can I just say as well that uh, we saw this for the first time. I think we saw it on the uh, the IMAX screen at Sydney World Leicester Square, uh, which is an amazing uh, IMAX screen. If you if you mm-hmm. get a chance to see uh, IMAX movie in London, obviously the BFI IMAX is, is great, but oh, this is also World. this is also amazing. Uh, and the end, and we're talking about the idea that it's Cruise doing these stunts. It sets it apart from Bond and from Bourne, and you can literally see it. It's Tom Cruise flying that helicopter, mm-hmm. and it's Tom Cruise hanging off that um, that that the big mountain, that big cliff, which is in Norway. There's a little bit of cheekery poker going on there, uh, and it's Tom Cruise climbing onto the rock at the end of the movie, and as tense and as gripping as everything else in the film was. <laughs> It's that shot at the end that both Helen and I were reaching out towards the screen and waving him back on. Just just lean over a little bit more, Tom. Move away from the edge, Tom. Yeah. Just something about people being on the edge that just uh, it just it gets me. It keeps me sharp on the edge where I gotta be. But yeah, that that honestly conniptions. I'm having conniptions just oh, thinking yeah. about he it. Was as too someone, close. Just move away <laughs> from the close edge. Close to the edge. Did anyone else uh, think of cliffhanger during that sort of final twenty minutes? Or specifically no. 10 minutes. I don't no. know. Just maybe no. want to watch I thought of Uncharted. Right. It, it felt like a sequence from Uncharted. I just thought Craig Fairbrass was going to turn up and <laughs> start commentating a football match. Well, that's it for our Mission Impossible Fallout spoiler special. Uh, our next spoiler special, apart from part three of this spoiler special with Chris, with, with Chris McQuarrie, will be out next week, is Ant-Man and the Wasp with the director Peyton Reed and the producer Stephen Broussard. So keep your ears peeled for that one as well. Until that auspicious occasion and the regular podcast is out every Friday, as you know, it is goodbye from IMF agent Helen O'Hara. <laughs> goodbye. IMF agent Nick August Dissemlian. Goodbye. That was, that, was a, that, was, that? that was a mini reload. And uh, IMF janitor, James Dyer. This podcast will self-destruct in five seconds. <laughs> and it's goodbye from me. I'm off to clamber up a building in London whilst Lolly Adafope works unaware on her laptop. Thanks for listening. See you next time.